On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. We'll move from a distinctly um, rural issue to a distinctly urban one, which is the prospect of congestion charges. Uh, You may have heard in the first hour we played a clip from Leo Varadkar. He says the congestion charges will not be introduced in the lifetime of this government, at least, a position backed up by the Green Party leader and the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan. But it is still something which is consistently put on the table by the National Transport Authority. Let's speak to Conor Faulkner, formerly of the AA, now an independent transport consultant. Um, Conor, thank you for joining us this lunchtime. Um, What is it about a congestion charge that works in some cities like, for example, London, that wouldn't work here? Well, we hear about congestion charges fairly regularly. Um, It's one of those chestnuts at this stage. Um, Bodies like Dublin City Council or the NTA or even the department frequently throw it up as an idea. Congestion charges, congestion charges. In Ireland, we simply cannot impose congestion charges at this point, at least not if we want them to achieve their objectives. The cities where they work are cities that are marked by comprehensive, good quality public transport. And that is an absolutely essential part of the system if you're going to contemplate congestion charges. Their purpose ostensibly is to encourage mode change so that individuals who would have driven into a car or would have driven into a town choose to leave the car behind and take public transport. You know, to state the very obvious, but we have to keep stating it, it cannot work if you don't have the public transport alternatives. If Dublin was a city where there was plenty of public transport, but it was empty most of the time because the self-indulgent citizenry were too lazy to use it, well, then maybe your congestion charges argument has some merit. But Dublin has the opposite problem. Every piece of public transport infrastructure that we have is stuffed full to capacity during the commuting rush hour period, and it still can't cope with all of the commuters. And is that, it, and is that definitely true, that like, the public capacity uh, in, in public transport at peak times is basically full? So that there, there, if, you were to, if you were hypothetically to introduce one, that there wouldn't be any benefit of people suddenly deciding to take the bus or the Dart or the Lewis or whatever it might be. You're telling me objectively they're already full. Yeah, I mean, that is true. And look, we may change the shape of that somewhat as we fully emerge into this post-pandemic world. Uh, traffic patterns have changed a little bit. Mondays and Fridays, for example, are less busy than they were for commuters. But nevertheless, there's data from, for example, in Dublin, there's the canal cordon count data, which is a very good um, long-running set of stats that are produced, which show the amount of traffic by mode share, which cross the canal bridges every morning. Mm. And you can see from that, that actually in Dublin city centre, private car numbers have stabilised, have even declined somewhat. Public transport numbers have increased. Cycling numbers have increased very much, which is encouraging. And those are positive trends. But we, we, we certainly don't have unused Lewis's in Dublin. In fact, the pattern has been that wherever you put in good quality public transport, it's instantly full. Nobody needs to be persuaded to take it if it's good. And that's the way you go about but- moving people. I take your point, and that was the, certainly the point that Leo Varadkar was putting out when he was mm. putting this to, to bed for the time being as well. But 
are we in a position where we have the luxury of putting the carrot and the stick together? That we're in a world where there's um, some of our cities, and particularly Dublin, and less so, as you say, on Mondays and Fridays, but certainly, uh, you know, peak hours, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, you try getting out of town at half past five on a weekday evening and it's, it's a nightmare. Um, so there is massive congestion still inside the canals and inside the city. And there is still this looming climate problem as well. So isn't there an argument, maybe not a conclusive one, but an argument that you could introduce a congestion charge merely to alleviate both of those things, albeit without a ready-made solution in place? Yeah, I don't think there's a good argument, to be frank. And, and you know, there are, there are two purposes, really, for congestion charges. And I think often they get conflated, and in fact they get used interchangeably. But they're very different policy objectives. One is the climate objective. So in London and some other cities, for example, you pay even more if you have an older polluting vehicle. There's a climate objective there to reduce tailpipe emissions. Now, that is fading as an issue as more and more of the fleet is electric. Uh, There's a whole host of other climate challenges, obviously. But the private car moving to electric is is really addressing the the idea of, of solving an emissions problem from the tailpipe. And in fact, again, in cities like London, they have a bigger problem now with diesel emissions from taxis and buses than they do from private cars. So good progress is being made there. But a completely separate and unrelated purpose is to address congestion. Congestion and climate, totally different issues. Mm. If you talk about congestion, well, as I say, you look, would a congestion charge reduce the number of cars? I dare say it would. But think about the collateral damage that it will cause and what purpose you're trying to serve. I mean, we could stop all cars in Dublin City tomorrow just by erecting roadblocks Mission accomplished. No more cars in the city. But, <laughs> are but what are you you're proposing doing is, that? <laughs> well, what I'm pointing out is that when you when you consider measures like these, they have considerable collateral damage. So, and you hear from bodies again like the NTA, they almost fetishize the need to make the motorist's life difficult, even when there's no secondary purpose or positive purpose being served. If you turn a tax if, if you turn a traffic jam into a tax collection mechanism without providing any, any alternative, then, as I say, you know, if, if, you're, if your absolute passion is to stop people using cars, uh, well, then, you know, for starters, be honest about that and don't bring in climate when it's spurious. But if that is your purpose, think it through. You could achieve it tomorrow with roadblocks. And is there anything to be said that the supply would follow the demand so that right, although there may be uh, no more, for example, bus space um, in peak time going in Dublin right now, that if you were to introduce a congestion charge and you created the demand for bus services, that you'd probably follow that services would follow if they thought there was a demand to use them. Because right now you probably have transport providers who are loath to organise the extra capacity if they're not sure if there's a demand. Uh, well, perhaps, and something of a circular argument there. As I say, if we banned cars in their entirety from Dublin tomorrow, we probably would have scope to put on more buses. But consider the collateral damage we're doing to the city. Uh, I mean, city centre traders will tell you that they're trying to compete with the, the Liffey Valleys and the out-of-town centres who've got a good offering. You can drive there and park. Now, Dublin, we can't have a Dublin city or a Cork city or a Limerick city mm-hmm. that is 
so calmed and so wonderful and so congestion-free that you could have a picnic on O'Connell Street if at the same time you've completely hollowed out the economy of the city. I mean, Dublin's economy is one of the main drivers of the national economy. Um, it, It doesn't serve, to my mind at least, it doesn't serve a good purpose if in your antipathy towards cars you physically force them out of Dublin City okay. and you then you know, clap your hands together and say, great, I can cycle in for my picnic. Well, ju- well, just you before, an enormous damage well, to the city. Well, just before I let you go then, because if you are talking about it, if, if there is an, uh, an economic concern for city centre traders who are trying to mm-hmm. bring people in, oftentimes people who are going to, to shop in the city centre can't always do so unless you're, you're only picking up light groceries or a few bits and pieces. You can't really go home on public transport afterwards. Like if you're going to look at a, a suite of furniture, if you're going to look at something pretty heavy, you're going to need to, to think about bringing your car with you. If you were to make the argument that you always need to worry about the economic welfare of city centre traders, you'd never find yourself ever outlawing or having any impediments to cars, irrespective of how good the public transport was. Well, I, I, I don't think I agree with that. And I don't know of any voice in the debate at all that's suggesting a kind of a, a Los Angeles-style cars free-for-all. I mean, that's a complete nightmare. I mean, I think everybody's objective is that you don't need a car in the city centre. You, you only use it for specific purposes, but on a day-to-day basis, you don't need it. I, I've made the point before, when was the last time you hired a car in London? Nobody ever does because you assume that you arrive in London and the public transport network can take you wherever you want to go. That has to be our objective for Dublin and Cork and Limerick and the other cities. Um, But if you haven't got that to offer people, remember that your congestion charge, whether whether your reason is climate or your reason is congestion or your reason is just straightforwardly you don't like cars, that might all be legitimate reasons. But remember that unless you have alternatives, which are the absolute vital uh, um, requirement, unless you have alternatives, what you're bringing in is a deadweight tax on movement, which will push up the cost of living. Okay, we will leave it there. Connor Faulkner, Transport Consultant, thank you very much for joining us this lunchtime on The Record. On The Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.